going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. This is the word of God to us. Please be seated. All right, let's play a little Bible trivia. You ready? I'm going to give you a phrase. You fill in the blank. It's going to be easy, at least uh, to start out with. Adam and Eve. You're, you're there. You got it. Cain and Abel. Very good. Noah and Noah and the ark. The ark. Wow, y'all struggled on that one. I, whew. All right. If only your preachers taught a lot on Genesis in the last two years. Man, okay. All right, now I'm a little nervous about this next one. I'll be honest with you. Amram and? All right, three of you have made it to Exodus in your daily Bible reading. All right, all right. Congratulations that you made it there. Okay, let's make it a li- maybe a little bit easier. David and? Goliath. Who said Bathsheba? Just curious. We might find out at the end of the service if someone decides to respond and repent. All right, last one, last one. Jonah and the fish or the whale. Isn't it interesting that when we think about the story of Jonah, what instantly comes to our mind is this man being swallowed by a fish. And did you know that for some people that makes this story really hard to swallow? It's a short little book. It's only four chapters long. It's just over a thousand words. You can read it in less than five minutes. And when it comes to skeptics, this is the book of the Bible that gets beat down the most because of the fact that it is a story about a man who was swallowed by a fish. But when you pay attention to the story, it's actually not about a man being swallowed by a fish. What the story is actually about is will a man allow himself to be swallowed up by the heart and mission of a great God? And it's a really challenging story for us for a number of reasons. And so I want us to spend some time in the book of Jonah because it's a fascinating, absolutely fascinating story. So it starts out with a really serious charge. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. So what we're about to read is something directly from the Lord himself. God spoke to Jonah. He called him as a prophet. And this is a real guy. That's why it says Jonah, the son of Amittai. This is a real guy. You can go check the family tree. This is a real person who's been sent to a real place with a real mission. And so when we think about this story, it becomes really difficult for some people, yet God is saying this is a real story. In fact, Jesus is going to take this story that we're going to spend a few weeks reading through, and he's going to take this story of Jonah spending three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, and he's going to link that to his very own death, burial, and resurrection, telling us that Jesus believed that this was a very real story, that events that we're going to read about absolutely happened. And so what's the word of the Lord? The word of the Lord is, get up. You're about to do something, Jonah. Now, I don't know if he's sitting down. It's just a phrase of action. It's about to happen. God's about to do something. Get up, Jonah, and go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Now, let's just pause. Jonah is being sent to Assyria. At the time of the writing of this book, in the time of the events of this book, Assyria 
Well, they're in charge of the whole world. And the way that they took charge is through coming in military domination and killing people who revolted. They were a very violent empire. And the capital city of Assyria is Nineveh. It's this great city, at least great in size. In fact, about a generation later, Nahum is going to describe the city of Nineveh as being full of blood and full of lies and very violent, that when Nineveh's finally overthrown, Nahum said the people are going to rejoice. Jonah's being sent to his worst enemy, and he's been told to preach against them. Now, that might sound appealing to go somewhere, to go to your worst enemy, and to preach against that group of people. But Jonah knows something that maybe you and I haven't picked up on. It's that by God telling Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach against them, he knows that that means that God is actually for Nineveh. You would think that he wouldn't be if he's going to preach against it. But Jonah knows the heart of God. He knows that by going to Nineveh, something powerful is going to happen. Not because of Jonah, but because of his great God that he's and he doesn't want it to happen. This is a prophet of God who has gone prodigal. He's gone rogue. He's being sent to go to Nineveh to preach against the people so that their hearts will turn back to this gracious God. And he doesn't want it to happen. He wants them to experience the judgment and the wrath of God. He doesn't want them to experience the kindness of God. He knows that by going there and preaching, that they're going to repent. They're going to change their lives. And at least for a time, they're going to surrender to God. And he has no desire in his body for that to happen. So what does he do? Well, he got up, as the Lord said, but he fled. He ran to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. And now pay attention to the language. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish, and he paid the fare, and he went down into it, into the ship, to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Do you catch what the writer of Jonah is doing? The writer is using directional language. He should be headed one direction. He should be headed up to the northeast toward Nineveh. Instead, where's he headed? He's headed down. He went down to Joppa. He got in a ship and went down into the ship. And it's like this spiral. You ever seen one of those giant whirlpool spirals? And it goes down and it starts really wide and works its way down, down, down. And Jonah's on this downward spiral because he's fueled by hatred and he's running from the presence of the Lord. Now, to see it on a map is absolutely heartbreaking what Jonah's about to do. He's being sent 500 miles, 550 miles to the northeast toward Nineveh. It's going to be a really long journey to get there. But that's where God sent him. Instead, his decision is to head toward Tarshish, a 2,600-mile journey by boat across the Mediterranean Sea to what at that point was the very edge of the known world, a little port uh, town on the edge of Spain. It's not just that he's trying to flee the presence of the Lord. Jonah knows his Bible. He knows what Psalm 139 says. Jonah knows that where can you flee from the presence of the Lord, the psalmist asked. And the answer, it's a rhetorical question, nowhere. There's nowhere you can go outside of the Lord's presence. He's not trying to flee the presence of the Lord as much as he's trying to run away from the service of the Lord. He wants to get as far from Nineveh as he can possibly get. Because he disagrees with what God is doing. And he actually thinks that God is wrong. 
And it's one of the craziest stories in the Bible because it's really a paradox. Here is a man who should be calling people into right relationship with God, who you would think is in right relationship with God, but he's not. And this should be the guy who is obedient to God, being sent to a group of people that are disobedient to God. And what's going to wind up happening as we go through the story is that the guy that's supposed to be obedient becomes disobedient. Reluctantly, he becomes obedient, and he goes and does about the worst job possible, and it results in a group of people who were disobedient becoming obedient to God. The ones that were pagans and were far from God become close to God, and the one that's supposed to be close to God actually becomes far from the Lord. And it's really a story about turning. Because Jonah's going to turn in a couple of directions. Did you catch what it said? Jonah, go to Nineveh. Turn toward the northeast. And he has a choice to make. And Jonah's story is really our story, because aren't our lives directed by the decisions that we make? If you really think about it, our lives are the results of the turns that we have made in our lives. Maybe we turned toward God or maybe we turned away from him. And you think about the decisions that you've made in life and how they have directed you in certain directions, maybe toward God or maybe away from him. There's been times in your life that you've made good decisions and and you have turned toward God and you have just made one good decision after another, but then there are times in your life where you've not done that. You've made a bad decision or two bad decisions or a series of bad decisions and it turned your life away from him. And there have been times in your life that God has called you to do something that's really easy and you're like, thank you, Lord, that's what I wanted to do anyways. But then there are times in your lives where God calls you to do something difficult. He asks you to take a step of faith and to trust him, something that you have no desire to do whatsoever. And it's a turning point. Which direction will you go? Today we're starting a series for the next couple of weeks called Turn, The Art of Repentance. And it's really not an enjoyable conversation to have. Like who wants to walk into church and be like, you know what I want to talk about today? Repentance. That would be awesome. Because it's uncomfortable. Because it requires us to look inward and it requires us to be honest with ourselves. And that's a challenging thing to do. And it's going to be uncomfortable because we're all going to be challenged to look inward and to try to to determine, am I right with the Lord? Am I where I need to be? Or have I drifted? Has my life turned a little bit? Maybe not a stark turn, maybe not a 90 degree turn, but have I turned just a little bit and headed in a direction slowly drifting away from the Lord? Because here's the thing, every one of us in some capacity is wrestling with repentance in some capacity. If you've been going to church for any amount of time, there have been situations, whether it's a message, whether it's a song, whether it's a prayer, whether it's just God's Spirit convicting you, that you know that there are things in your life that should not be there. There are things in your life that have torn your heart away from God. And you're sitting there going, what am I going to do? Am I going to respond Am I going to stay quiet? Am I going to make a change? Or am I just going to try to get to lunch? And it's little turns in our life that make all the difference 
So here's what I want to start with this morning. To kind of help us understand where we're headed in this series, it's a study through the book of Jonah using the story to remind us that repentance begins with recognition. It's becoming aware that there is a problem. It's becoming aware and recognizing that there are times in our life where maybe we've drifted from the Lord, where maybe we've made a decision to do something rebellious, where maybe we've made a decision to go back to a behavior that we had long dropped, to recognize the things that are weighing us down, to be mindful of the things that have hooked onto our lives and have torn our heart and just kind of pulled our direction and our focus just a little bit away from the Lord, where we're not as passionate as we were, we're not as emotional emotionally invested as we were. We just kind of got caught up going through the motions, just trying to get through life, pursuing other goals rather than spending time focusing on our spiritual life. It begins with this awareness. But here's the thing. It's hard to recognize it in yourself, but it's so easy to recognize it in somebody else, isn't it? It's easy to recognize when somebody else has gotten a little bit off and you see it and maybe there's times where you've said something or you've had someone say something to you. Maybe, maybe your spouse has said something to the effect of, you know, your work sure has gotten really demanding lately. And if we were to actually pay attention to that statement, that would be a recognition that maybe, just maybe, my life has turned a little bit in a direction away from my spouse, maybe in a direction away from my Lord. And it wasn't a stark turn. I didn't just turn my back. I just slightly shifted and am now drifting away. Or maybe somebody has said something to you recently. Are you okay? And you're like, yeah, why? They're like, you just seem a little on edge. And we can blow it off and say, no, I'm fine. I mean, it's great. That wasn't totally true, but you know, life's great. That's that recognition. That's someone recognizing something in you It's just a little bit off, a little bit different. Maybe they can't put their finger on it. They just noticed a slight turn in your demeanor. And hopefully those statements, as we become aware of them and pay greater attention and not get defensive and not just blow them off, but that we truly receive them. And we say, maybe something has changed. Maybe I have turned in a direction I didn't need to. It begins with recognition, but then it should turn into action. Because if it doesn't turn into action, what's the point? Just becoming aware of a problem doesn't change the problem. I'm going to assume that at the beginning of the year, there were things that you went down on your New Year's resolutions or goals for the new year and said, you know what, I'm going to try to work on these things. And it's February the 25th, which means, statistically speaking, well over 90% of you have long given up. I mean, you might not have even made it to the end of the week of the first week of January. And you had good ideas. You recognized that there were some things that needed to be changed, but maybe that action didn't follow through. Can I give you a secret why? It's not really a secret, other than maybe you've never discovered it. It's not just the behavior that has to change. Repentance doesn't just turn into action when you change your behavior. It's when you change the way you think about that behavior. That's what Paul's getting at in Romans 2. Pay attention to the words underlined. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed is where we get our English word metamorphosis, that process of a caterpillar changing into a butterfly. And Paul says, I want you to go through this drastic transformation. I want you to change 
not just your actions, but specifically the way that you think. Because in order to do that, you will be able to discern that's something that's happening in the mind. It's changing the way that we think. Whatever that problem was that you recognized at the beginning of the year, or whatever it is that God's laying on your heart today, what first has to change is how you think about it. The behavior will change when you change your thought process. Let me rephrase that. The behavior will change long term as you change your thought process. Because if you don't change your thought process, the behavior will only change for just a little while until you're tired of the change and you go back to the way that it was before. But when you allow God to renew your mind, to not only make you aware, but to change your heart and your mind through his spirit as he promised, to change how you think about that, it will result in a more permanent, lasting change. And that is truly a gift from the Lord. So this morning, from just these first three verses we looked at, I want us to ask ourselves two honest questions. I'm not going to ask you to answer them out loud. You just answer them in your heart and listen to what your heart is telling you. The first one is, what call of obedience am I running from? I mean, here's the thing. We're all prone to run from a call of obedience from the Lord. There are things that God has clearly told us in his word that he wants us to do. And in that moment, we all decide whether or not that's a part of God's will that we're going to actually swallow. So the part for Jonah is God came to Jonah and said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to preach against it. And Jonah said, absolutely not. Can't do that not going to receive that will from the Lord. And so he turned and he went the opposite direction. But yet we can find ourselves doing the same thing just in different areas of our lives. There are some areas of our lives that God is very clear on that we're deciding whether or not we're going to receive it and whether or not we're going to live it out. I'll give you a couple of examples. One is in the area of finances. The Bible's very clear over the role that money plays in our lives and over the dangers that it can also present. And God is very upfront that everything that we have is a gift from him. And we have to decide for ourselves how we're going to view everything that we own and possess. Am I going to view it open-handedly that it's the Lord's and he can take and use with it however he wants? Or am I going to view it close-handed and say, this is mine and I got to hold on to it and I got to protect it? And when we do that, we struggle with generosity. We struggle with giving as we should. We struggle with seeing needs of other people because we're inward-focused. And as a result, maybe we're living a little more undisciplined than we should. Maybe we're living a little more selfishly focused than we should, rather than trusting in the Lord and allowing him to use whatever he's given me for his glory. Maybe it's in the area of the mind, and, and we know that the Bible's very clear that garbage comes in, garbage going to go out, and we need to take every thought captive. And if we're not careful with what we're taking into the mind, it will begin to distort and, and to pervert our thought process. And we need to be careful of the images that we're viewing and of the shows and movies that we're taking into our mind because it's affecting us in some capacity or the music that we're listening to. And these are messages and propaganda that's coming into our minds. And if we're not careful in protecting our minds, then it will begin to change our hearts in some capacity. And we know that the Word of God is very clear on that, that it's from out of the heart that all of life's issues spring forth and that the mind and the heart are connected. And I know that, but whether or not I'm actually swallowing that part of God's will, that's a different 
conversation. Or maybe it's in the area of relationships. And God is very clear about the things that should only happen between a man and a woman who are in the relationship of a husband and a wife. Yet, I'm going to determine what I'm going to do about that in my own life. And whether or not I'm going to live by the word of God. Or whether I'm going to turn and go the opposite direction. There's two types of sins. There's sins of commission. There's those that I willingly commit where God has said, don't do this, and I do it anyways. I willingly commit it. It's a sin of commission. But then there's sins of omission, where I know what God has said, but I just don't do it. I omit from doing that. Yet he still pursues, even when we run. Here's the second question this morning. Does an outwardly religious but inwardly rebellious spirit live inside of me? If we're honest, it's a tough question to answer. And it's easy just to go, no, not me. I'm at church. (laughs) Of course I'm religious. Pay attention to the question. It's not what everybody can see. It's what only the Lord can see. And I know this is a real struggle. I know I really struggle with it. It's so easy to go through the motions. So easy to look religious to other people. Yet on the inside, what's happening in my heart? Here's what Jesus said to the Pharisees. He said, you know, outwardly, you appear righteous to others, but within, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Listen, we all have this room in our house that when we find out people are going to come over, everything that was out that you don't want out gets thrown into that room in that closet, right? And so you host a dinner party and everybody comes over and you're like, hey, let me give you a tour of my home. And so you're walking them around. You're like, yep, this is the office or the bedroom, living room, kitchen. And maybe they have kids with them and, and they're like, hey, what's in here? And you're like, no, no, don't open that, you know. We've all been there. We all have that room because you know if they open it, they're going to see everything that was out here that you don't want to be out here because you want it to look perfect. And you also know that if that child or that adult opens that room, they might not survive it. Everything's going to come tumbling down. You open it, you know, pulling that door and stepping backward. And then you'll pull it all back out where it was later because you lived there. We all have places in our lives, or maybe some of us, maybe I shouldn't say we all, Some of us, maybe many of us, have places in our lives that's like the junk room. Where when people look at our life, we show them what we want them to see. I want you to see how I look on Sunday, maybe even on Wednesday. Hopefully I'm acting right and treating people right when you see me at Walmart and I don't know that you see me. I'm going to try to appear the right way. But there's there's certain parts of our lives that only God can see. And we can do a good job of hiding it from other people, but God sees it all. He knows what's in the junk room in our hearts. So how do you know if you're outwardly religious yet inwardly rebellious? Because it's not always easy to see in ourselves. The Pharisees struggle with it. It's why Jesus kept constantly telling them, hey, God's after your heart, not just after your actions. A couple of questions you to think through this morning. How do you know if you're outwardly religious but inwardly rebellious? Do you spend more time criticizing others instead of spiritually reflecting on your own struggles? Do you pretend to care for other people while struggling yourself with bitterness and resentment? Do you pretend to live a moral life 
but inwardly struggle with lustful thoughts or desires? Do you act like you have an intimate relationship with God, but seldom spend time with Him in prayer? I hope that you'll understand this morning that these questions are not accusations, but rather they're invitations. Because however you answer those questions, if you answer them and say, man, I am outwardly religious, but inwardly rebellious. God's not pushing you away. He's inviting you in. He's saying, I want to know you deeper. I want to get into the recesses of your heart and renew your mind and your heart with his spirit. Change the way that you think. Clean up that junk room in your heart so that from you flows true righteousness. And always remember, however you answer those questions, God doesn't run away from runaways. He didn't run away from Jonah. When Jonah got on the boat to head toward Tarshish, God pursued him. He ran toward him. He didn't run away from him. I read this story about the Rose Bowl back in 1929. It was Georgia Tech, uh, Yellow Jackets playing the University of California. And right before halftime, Georgia Tech had the ball and they fumbled the ball uh, around their own 30-yard line. And there was a guy named Roy Regals who played for the Cow Bears. He was a defensive lineman. He also played center on offense. And he scooped the ball up. And it's every lineman's dream. You've got the ball and you finally get to run because they don't often get to touch the ball. And he evades a tackle, but in evading the tackle, it got him turned around. And Roy Regals was running in the wrong direction. And so his teammate, Benny Lom, is chasing him down, hollering at him, Roy, you're running in the wrong direction. Thankfully, Benny was faster than Roy, and he caught up to him. And he actually pulled him down or stopped him, physically stopped him right around the three-yard line. And Roy realizes he's going in the wrong direction. And as they turn around to go in the right direction, bam, they both get tackled, knocked to the ground right at the one yard line. Unfortunately, it didn't turn out good for the Cow Bears, and Roy Regals had this nickname stuck to him for the rest of his life, Wrong Way Regals. What a name. But you know what? If we're a little gracious, we're no different than Roy Regals. We all find times where our lives is headed in the wrong direction, and you know what we need? We need some Benny Benny Loms in our life who are willing to track us down who are willing to give everything that they've got to catch up to us and to say, you're going in the wrong direction. Please turn around. But we also have a God who does that. Whether someone else does in your life or not, you have a God who is chasing you down, who is calling you by his grace to turn your life over to him. Even if you've received a call of obedience and you have flat refused and gone the opposite direction, he's still pursuing you, trying to get you to turn. And even if you showed up today and outwardly you're religious, but inwardly you're rebellious, he's still coming after your heart. And he won't stop because that's how faithful our God is. So this morning, if you're here And you need to turn. You need to change your life because you're now recognizing things that are there or a direction that's taken you where you didn't realize you were headed and you want to make a change. You have a faithful God who is always pursuing you.
You have a church family who I know is filled with a, bu- with a bunch of Benny Loms who we all will work together and walk together and sometimes run after one another when needed and say, hey, I've been there. I'm there sometimes too. Let's struggle together and head in the right direction. Let's encourage one another. There's no judgment, only grace and mercy from the Lord who is inviting each of us to turn. So if this morning you want to give your life to Christ in baptism, we'd love to celebrate that and to see a complete change in your life as you surrender to the will of the Lord. If you're here today and you recognize that there's things that you need to change and you want some prayers, our shepherds are going to be up front and in the back of the auditorium. They'd love to pray with you and to pray over you. We'd love to pause as a church family if you would like us to and just pray over you and encourage you and to say we're right 